You're listening to another sermon podcast presented by Chelsea Presbyterian Church. Located in Chelsea, Alabama, we value community, fellowship, and love for people from all walks of life. For more information, find us online at www.chelseaprez.org or check us out on Facebook. Uh, We are in our sermon series on John, and I've actually had more feedback for some reason on this sermon series than any other sermon series that we have gone through. I don't know all the reasons behind that, but I do know this. The last several passages that we have uh, discussed were very controversial at the time that they were written, and they're still controversial today. And today's scripture reading is no exception. So let's dig right in and let's see why. So John 5, and then we're looking at 8 through 18, says this. And Jesus said to him, Take up, sorry, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed, and he walked. Now that was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It's the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. And they said, Who healed you that said, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who he was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in a temple, and he said, See, you're well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he said, uh, because he was doing things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered him, My father is working until now, and I am working. And this is why they were seeking all the more to kill him, because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to the Lord. Father God, thank you for your word. Uh, help us to look at this passage today uh, and understand why that would be even in the Bible. What is it about the heart of the Father and who you are uh, as, as Jesus, his son? What is it that, that you want us to see today, a larger picture of? Uh, may we know that so that we can worship you more and glorify you in all we do. In Jesus' name, amen. So look at this passage. This passage is obviously a passage about healing. Uh, and we're all, we are all looking for healing in our lives. Of course, there's no question there. Uh, the question of what we need to be healed from or what and who we turn to for healing, that's really the real question. During COVID in 2021, one of the top Google searches was the phrase, how to be healed or how to heal, which is not surprising. That's obvious. But a deeper research realized it wasn't just how to be healed physically that people were looking up. They were also looking up emotional healing, mental healing, or even spiritual healing And at the time. And at the time, there was this kind of mini boom in what people considered alternative medicine and then also what people were looking at by way of religion, by way of trying to find other things in their life that would bring them healing that they weren't currently getting. And so there was all everything from uh, magic rocks during that time to uh, prayer napkins that were being sold by the millions during that time and everything in between. 
And as the scientists begin to look at these things, they begin to, to research them and study them, they begin to do, do these little projects where we find out, like, this person holds a prayer cloth that was blessed, this person would just be holding a napkin, they wouldn't know the difference, and they would do the studies on this. This person would be have the, the magic healing rock, this person would have a fake rock. Uh, what, what's the, the research on that? And what they realized is all of these will come down to one thing, and it had to do with this. If the person really believed with all their heart that that thing had healing powers, then they felt better. No matter which rock they held, no matter what paracloth they held, if they really wanted it to be true, they, they felt better than the ones who didn't believe in it. Now, I am not on a vendetta against any of these things that I'm talking about in general. Uh, whatever you want to kind of look at, you know, I know God heals in different ways and miraculous ways. But it's just interesting that when you look at these things, how people couldn't tell the difference in the studies by way of the well-being of, of whether it's fake or whether it was real. And at this point you're saying, okay, James, why are you even bringing this up? My point is this. People want to believe in something. People are desperate for healing. And this has everything to do with our passage for today. So we're going to look at our three points for the day. We're going to talk about the invalid validated. We're going to talk about the idea of the healer identified. And then we're going to talk about the idea of the religious being scandalized. So let's look at the first verse, which is there right in your face verse. Verse 8 says this. Jesus says, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed, and he walked. Now, you can immediately tell, and we couldn't put all the verses that pertain to this in our, in our section today, but you can immediately tell this is a story of Jesus healing a man, the healing of what people would call an invalid. And we know that an invalid is a general term used for someone that has some kind of disabilities, whether uh, it's uh, being crippled or can't, you know, disabled in some way. And the healing of this man took place in Jerusalem, where Jesus had gone up to celebrate one of the feasts. And we don't really know what feast it was, but we do know this, that people were flocking to the holy city during this time of Jerusalem to make one of the pilgrimages for the feast. Now, you need a little background here. We couldn't include these verses because I said the, the, the length of them. But this is what happened. This is where it happened. It happened in a place called the, the, the Pool of Bethesda which is a pool right outside the gate of the holy city of Jerusalem. And Bethesda means house of mercy and grace, kind of like the idea where they're going to let these people have their little space over here as the disabled people. And it was a reservoir for rainwater that would come in. And this guy and a lot of other disabled people would congregate around this fountain. And there was this weird superstition that when the waters were rippling in the, in, in the fountain, that it was actually angels coming from heaven and stirring the waters. That was, that was the legend. That was the myth. And so here they are, and, and not only that, the part of the legend was the first person to jump in to the water, to get into the water, before um, anybody else did, the first one would get healed. Can you imagine the frenzy around that fountain at time? 
here you have all these disabled people, they're like jumping over on top of each other trying to be the first one to get into this pool because of some legend that they heard about this water. Kind of reminds me when my brothers and I were growing up trying to get back in the kitchen for seconds, you know, for my mom's cooking. Um, but, and this poor guy could never get over here first, which speaks how disabled he actually was. Was it superstitious? You better believe it. Were they desperate? Yes. Desperate times call for desperate measures, right? Like the illustration that we had about the rocks and the crystals earlier. They wanted to believe. They wanted to have hope in something. They needed to have hope in something. The Bible never teaches and never supports the idea that actually these waters were healing. Rather, the superstition was probably because the pool's association with the nearby temple in that way. So one day, and this is where we are now, Jesus visited this pool of Bethesda where and here had been a man. He had been an invalid for 38 years of his life. And Jesus asked the man if he wanted to be healed. And the man said, I have no one to help me in the pool. When the water is stirred and, and while I try to get in, somebody else gets in, uh, in front of me. Now obviously the man believed in this urban legend about the stirring of the water. And he blamed the fact that he couldn't be healed on his inability to be able to get into the water. Jesus comes in and he sweeps all the superstition aside and bypasses altogether everything that this man had by way of his need for magic and his need for water. And with one command, he just says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And the man's instantly cured. And he picks up his mat and he walks. And the man did not need quicker reflexes. He did not need angels to visit some water and stir it. He did not need enchanted water. The man needed Jesus. See, note that Jesus selects the lame man out of all the other people in the crowd that were unwell. He exercised his divine prerogative to heal when and where he would be where he would choose. The only thing he asked the man is, "Do you want to be healed?" That's all he asked him. Note, there's no indication that this man has faith in Jesus. Jesus heals him anyway. Regardless of whether he has faith or not, it didn't matter. Jesus healed him. Now, look at our quote in our order of worship at the very beginning. This is a quote by uh, R.C. Sproul. He says this, Our sovereign God does not need our faith in order to intervene in his world supernaturally. Nevertheless, he is often pleased to interview, intervene with healings that medical science cannot explain and other such things when we come to him with faith and ask him for his help. Let us not be afraid to intercede for ourselves and for others, knowing that God sovereignly determines when and where to act. 38 years, the man who Jesus healed at Bethesda had suffered from a condition that made him unable to walk. Given that he had suffered so long, it would not be surprising if we thought, man, the, what this guy needs is physical healing in his life. Once this happens, he's going to be good to go. But we're going to see in this passage as we go on, that's not his fundamental problem. His fundamental problem is not physical, it's spiritual. But what we do know so far is the beauty of the story is this. Jesus took an invalid. Think about the word. Folks would call him invalid. No value in that society. And Jesus validated him. 
He was physically subpar in the culture, and now Jesus gives him value. He's no longer a beggar in the street, but he's someone that can work now. He can contribute to society. Just like the woman at the well that we discussed last week, Jesus restored her, his identity and his dignity. He did it for them, and he can do it for us. I don't care how bad you are here today that you have blown it. I don't care how much you think you lack at this point in your life, whatever it is, resources or your own ability to do the right thing. I don't care what it is. As a spouse or a person, a friend, a worker, whatever, Jesus can restore what you can never live up to. And this is really the point of this first section. But let's see how. Look at verse, uh, look at uh, number two, the healer identified. It says, now that day was the Sabbath. And Jesus, Jesus said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, the man who said, uh, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who's the man that said that? And he said, take up your bed and walk. And the man had been healed, he didn't know who he was. For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus finds the man in the temple and he says, See, you're well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who healed him. Now it's interesting. Like, this guy experienced a life-changing healing. And he didn't even learn Jesus' name. He wouldn't even, uh, I mean, you'd think that he would at least want to find him and thank him and be grateful and say, hey, who are you? But apparently his only thought was his healing at the time. He didn't even turn to Jesus to seek him out or thank him. Now, I don't know about you. I do this all the time. Uh, there's a, a story I heard when I was young about this lady that would look out her kitchen window, and maybe I've told this story before, and she had this big mountain, and she knew on the other side of that mountain there was this beautiful scenery of uh, this lake and these trees. And so every day she would get up and say, God, it says in the Bible, if you have faith, as well as a mustard seed, we can move mountains. And I'm praying to you, God, will you move this mountain so that I can see on the other side of this and get, enjoy the scenery every morning. She prays this every day, day after day after day. Finally, one day she walks out there and all these excavators, these dirt movers are out there and they start moving the mountain. And she looks out and she says, Never mind, God. They got it. Right? Now, see, I pray things. God responds. And then I forget how He has answered. And I move on to my next petition. Most of my prayers are, God, will you do this for me? Rarely are my prayers like, God, thank you for this and this and this. Thank you looking back. Like, I remember a year ago, we were praying for this and asking for this. And God, you granted it. Like, rarely do I do that. Also notice that, that Jesus is the one who spots the man in the temple, not the other way around. Even though there was probably a crowd around Jesus, as there always were, this guy's not even looking for Jesus. But Jesus pursues him. That's the God. That's the Savior that we worship. Pursuing us, even when we don't pursue him. And to make matters worse, here we see it all the time in John. Here come the religious folks. Ugh. We've seen this over and over again. Quoting religious rites and the law, Bible in hand, instead of being in wonder and celebrating and, and rejoicing over the healing, they're trying to find some flaw or some theological inconsistency. It's like they're walking around with a big needle trying to burst this guy's balloon and everybody else's balloon around them. So technically speaking, the way these religious people had translated 
the fact that you can't work on the Sabbath, the day of rest. They saw what the man was doing, carrying his mat, his bedroll, as doing work, therefore breaking the Sabbath command. They're the church police here looking for someone not doing everything the perfect way or doing the right thing, and they come after him. And then the man just throws Jesus under the bus. You notice that? He just blamed Jesus. Here's what you need to understand about this guy. He is the healed man. He's no hero of the faith here. He's people like you and I. And here's another thing you need to understand this this point. He experienced physically heal, sorry, physical healing, yes, but he's also in need of spiritual healing, which is evidenced by by faith and repentance. This is this is what Jesus is going to kind of come call calling to. You see that later the passage. Later Jesus finds him in the temple. Uh, and he says something along the lines of this, like, hey man, you look good. Like, how are you feeling? You're well again. Stop sinning, or something may be worse, something worse can happen to you. Now, Jesus' words are some kind of rebuke of an unnamed sin. Uh, the, the man, in some ways, is living contrary to God's will for his life. Um, it's a warning that of something worse can happen to you. Now, we don't know what the what he's dealing with. Now, he's definitely dealing with ingratitude, right? That's one problem. So, what could be worse than 38 years of paralysis? Jesus reminds him, how about eternal damnation? And that's a bit odd thing for Jesus to say to them, but that's the point. See, the man was acting in such a way that he did not know God, but now he has met him face to face in the person of Jesus. And Jesus tells him who he is, and then he says, stop sinning. In other words, look to Jesus. Don't look to other ways of healing. You spent your whole life looking for all these other things for help. And all I'm saying is just look to Jesus. The man, see, he was more focused on the healing than he was the healer. Therefore, he got it wrong. Whether the man's lameness was, was due to a personal sin or not, it really doesn't matter. There's stories of Jesus that, stories of Jesus never get bogged down and is is the physical uh, disability ever connected to the sin. Jesus doesn't get bogged down in that. It's always a call to faith and repentance and to look to him. The greatest need of the, the man that was there was to turn from sin and to rest in Christ alone. That is our greatest need as well. Think about this. We pray for things physical, and emotional and, and mental. We pray for that healing all the time. When is the last time you pray for spiritual healing? Like what's really important? Jesus is saying all those things pale in comparison is that there's a deep-rooted sickness in our souls that we need to care for, that we need healing in, that we need help with. Let's look at our third point. The religious scandalized. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Because he was doing things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This is why Jesus were, Jews were seeking to, all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And as we said before, amazingly, not everybody is happy about this man's miraculous healing. The reaction of these Jewish leaders shows us that no matter the proof that God provides, there will be some people, even church folks, 
who refuse to see the signs and refuse to see the truth, even confronting with all these things. See, we believe in what we want to believe in, and we find hope, even if it means many times ignoring and rejecting the very work of God right in front of us for something else. It's true for you and me and the people around us. We all miss the work of the Holy Spirit, and we fail to acknowledge God's work in our lives. See, Jesus was a bona fide miracle worker, and the religious leaders could not see the miracle. All they can see is someone that violated their technical rules that wasn't really a rule of God at all, something that didn't fit their categories, something that didn't make sense to them and what they knew about God. See, the issue was not the breaking of God's command. The only thing being broken was their interpretation of one of God's laws and who he was. So a blessing, a man being healed, meant to increase faith, led to the blindness of those who refused to acknowledge the blessing and acknowledge Jesus and his Father. See, many of the religious leaders hated Jesus so much that they wouldn't even put up with him helping people on the holy day of rest. And it didn't lead to them just dismissing or ignoring God they started to want to kill Jesus. This is where it gets deep. First of all, first of all, we are spiritually dull people. And sometimes we're the same way as the man was. We receive gifts and blessings from God, like the healed man, and we are so ungrateful. And it's not just the healed man in our story. It's us. Pray that God would forgive us and change our hearts and put us on a, a, a path of life, of faith, but also a life of gratitude where our prayers to Him, our relationship with Him is not just based on what we need, God, but based on thankfulness for who He is. Second, and this is the one this week when I thought about it, I really didn't want to think about. See, we say we love God and it's true, but many times we want Him gone. Here's what I mean by that. Like the religious leaders confronted by Jesus, we want Him to stop rocking the boats of our life. There's sometimes we hear things in this church and we read things in the Word and we wish that we did not hear those things because they're so convicting. See, we want to go back to our easy list of do's and don'ts. Uh, we, want, we love the morals that Jesus teaches. We don't want the demands. We want the healing that He provides. We just don't want the obligations in our life to do what we know is the right thing. In essence, we all like the idea of a Savior and a Messiah until he messes with our lives and he calls for change. And at that point, honestly, we, want, we would prefer him, just like the religious leaders in the story, we would prefer him gone. We would prefer him dead. We want all the benefits of Christianity, and many times we want none of the demands. So let me ask you this. If you had all the gifts and the healing and the life that God has to offer without him, would you be okay with that? Do you prefer the gifts far more than the giver? Would you be okay with heaven without God being there? Would you be okay with the healing without the healer? We need to take a long, long, hard look at our lives and think about that. Because on one hand, if you have a pat answer to that, you're not grappling with it in the way that I'm asking you to today. During this Lent season, this is the time to take a long, hard look at our hearts during this time and contemplate these questions as we come to God's table today. Let's pray. Father God, um, Lord's Day, 
they are uh, painful for me in my heart. My I, I was so convicted in thinking about this. How I, I just run and grab and want to receive so many gifts from you and ask you, Lord, we know we're needy people and you're not condemning us for that. You, don't, you do want us to come to you as our good Father, but not to the detriment of our souls where we reject you. And not to the point where we become ungrateful little brats. Lord, help us as your children to lean deep into the relationship of grace and mercy that you have for us. Thank you that you have given us the greatest gift of all, the greatest healer of all, in your Son. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon. We want to remind our listeners that our doors are always open at Chelsea Presbyterian Church, and we invite all our listeners to join us for worship. You can visit us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at Chelsea Middle School. To hear more of our sermons from our church or for more information, you can find us online at www.chelseapres.org or check us out on Facebook.